Mindfulness Mode 467. The biggest risk they face in this world because of technology was not taking enough risk. Welcome, everybody, to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, host and creator of Mindfulness Mode, where you can reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. And guess what else? You can learn about some awesome mindfulness books. Every guest that comes on my show, I ask them to recommend a book related to mindfulness. I went through all the episodes and came up with the 12 most commonly recommended books, and they are terrific books. And you can get this in the form of a little ebook. I put this all together, so a little, little bit about each book and a link so that you can order it yourself on Amazon. It's called the 12 Must Read Mindfulness Books. This ebook is yours free. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So I hope you enjoy that. And hey, have you ever ordered things on Amazon? I'm sure you have. Well, today's episode is all about the mindfulness of Jeff Bezos, who is the creator of Amazon. So I think you'll enjoy it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my episode with the, the wonderful Steve Anderson. Hey, Mindful Tribe, great to have you with us again. And I am so excited today because we are going to be talking about the mindfulness of Amazon, the mindfulness of Jeff Bezos. And we have the most perfect person in the world to talk about this, I think, is someone who has done incredible research and written about this. I have the author of the new book about Jeff Bezos with me today. And you might have heard about this book. It's called The Bezos Letters. Everybody's talking about it from Wall Street Journal to USA Today. The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business like Amazon. And I have the author here, Steve Anderson. Steve, great to have you with us. Are you in mindfulness mode today, Steve? I uh, certainly am, Bruce, and uh, what a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's terrific to have you here for sure. So, Jeff Bezos, would you say he truly is a mindful man? Yeah, I absolutely would agree with that. And from the very beginning of Amazon, he had this vision in his mind of what he saw years ahead and very methodically and purposely did things in a very specific, mindful way to grow Amazon and to keep it mindful, even as it's grown to almost you know 650,000 employees. And that was one of my questions. How did he do that? And I came across the letters and kind of, and then he laid it out right there. Well, and it was quite incredible because as you pointed out, he wrote that the original letter in 1997 and kept referring back to it constantly, constantly, constantly referring back to that original letter to kind of remain grounded. Is that kind of a way that he did remain grounded, do you think? Yeah, I think it is. And I think a couple things. So every single letter since that original 1997 letter, so they're 21 in total now, he refers back to that original letter, which certainly caught my attention, right? Why? What's there? And what's really fascinating is he had in his mind 
a vision for what he wanted to create and it didn't change. So that's really interesting. Now, lots of variations and, and new permutations, but the core was in that original letter that he kept referring back to. So that that's pretty interesting in itself. Well, I always ask the question, what does mindfulness mean to you? What do you think mindfulness means to Jeff Bezos? Well, I think to Jeff Bezos, it's, it's being intentional. And what's interesting is, he said a couple of times that he feels the most intelligent person is the one that can change their mind. So he's not so rigid that he won't change his mind if you provide him either good information or a different perspective or his thinking changes. So mindfulness is not just being locked into one way to do things, but it's being thoughtful and intentional about what he does. And I think he certainly has, has done yeah, that. Do and too. for me, you know, even just writing the book, it really was a three-year journey to get to where I am now. That's all. That was a long journey with with certainly some valleys along the way. You know what I like to call the messy middle, which is like, oh my gosh, can I really do this? And for me, it was very keep my mindfulness in terms of here's my goal. What do I need to do today? What's one more step I can do to actually get this book done? Wow. Well, I want to share a little bit about you, Steve, with our listeners, with Mindful Tribe. Steve Anderson has spent his career helping the insurance industry understand how to use emerging technologies. And for the last 25 years, he's crossed the nation speaking at many, many, many places, like, for example, Safeco, AAA, Nationwide. Steve has a master's degree in insurance law and was invited to be an original thought leader influencer on LinkedIn way back when, and he re represented the insurance industry, and he now has, get this, over 340,000 followers on LinkedIn. And this recent book, The Bezos Letters, is such an intelligent and insightful look at the 14 principles. And these 14 principles are what Steve has drawn out. It's not like Jeff Bezos said, here are 14 principles. Steve has this expertise at being able to draw out elements to help the rest of us understand how we can use these insights to benefit our own businesses. So that's pretty incredible. So you've worked in the insurance industry all these years. I want to go back to a little bit about you, Steve. What got you into insurance? How did you end up in that, in that industry? Actually, like a lot of people in insurance, I sort of stumbled into it. So my father-in-law owned an independent insurance agency in Washington, D.C., and he had some health issues. So after I graduated college, I uh, decided I would come in and help him for, you know, I say, quote, a couple of years uh -huh. and found I really enjoyed the industry a lot, actually. And so... One of the phrases I use for people is the insurance industry is a bit like quicksand. You know, once you get your toe into it, it just sucks you in and doesn't let you go. But it's a great industry, great people, you know, really providing a service that, you know, we couldn't have the economy and the country we have without insurance to help with those catastrophe things that, that could happen. So, yeah, and kind of in that also became fascinated with the technology piece of it. So that's my unique now kind of a merging of insurance expertise, contract language policies, right? All those 
geeky insurance things, but also the technology and how that's changing what people do. I mean, driverless cars, what's, how is that going to change things, right? So I look at that intersection of technology and insurance and help the industry move forward. And when did you first know that technology was your thing and that you grabbed onto it? Uh, probably now, 25 years ago. So I had worked in two different independent agencies. I left my father-in-law's agency and long story, we moved to Texas, worked at an agency there. And it was really there be- between those two that really discovered th- this interest in, in technology and then actually started my own business 25 years ago, providing consulting, research, writing, speaking services, primarily again to the industry. You offer so much expertise, whether it's on LinkedIn or other social media, and of course, at your website, steveanderson.com. And I encourage you, Mindful Tribe, to visit this because there is just so much knowledge, so much information to learn from Steve. And it's Steve Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. And yeah, go to steveanderson.com and check out all he has to offer. There is so much. So when did you first realize that Jeff Bezos was such a game changer in the business world? I was actually doing research on the original book whose working title was called The Risk Dilemma. And I had become convinced that for virtually any type or size of business that the biggest risk they face in this world because of technology was not taking enough risk. And so I came across Amazon. I mean, Amazon's well-known as being innovative and inventive and right, all of those kinds of things and sort of stumbled on the letters and read through a couple of them and then read through more of them and then literally sat down over a couple of days and read through all of them in order and realized, you know, he laid out uh, what I call hidden in plain sight, what he did to grow Amazon. And I think it's important um, because I get this question a lot. Will this work for any business? I'm not Amazon and it's likely you won't become Amazon. But I believe the principles apply to any business, whether it's a solopreneur, whether you have five employees, 25 employees, or certainly bigger. But the principles are there to help you think differently about how to grow your business and take care of customers. I mean, again, all all 14 principles have some very specific reasons behind them. But I think even if you don't look at all 14, there are several that can, I think, really help you think differently about your business, your customers, your employees, and what they need in order to really move the organization forward. Well, in the book, you talked about three repeating growth cycles that Jeff Bezos applied to every one of his endeavors. Let's talk about those. This is fascinating. Yeah. So the cycles are and, and the principles are grouped in these cycles, but you know everybody starts either from a brand new business or a new product or a new service you want to offer testing. So that's the first cycle. You know, is this a product we're going to want to bring out? Is it? How is it going to work? What do we have to do there? And the principles around there are all around big ideas and invention and innovation. And one of the th- really intriguing thoughts I came across was this idea of encouraging successful failure. And a long story there, we I don't know that we have time to go into, but failure is a part of testing. It's a part of experimenting. 
And Bezos says he believes Amazon is the best place in the world to fail as an employee. Because if you're not pushing and experimenting and not failing enough, you're not pushing the edge enough. So test, second is build. So once you test it, you have to build it and see, okay, is this really something that's going to work? And then accelerating the growth of whatever, again, product, service, organization. And the final is scale. So what do you do to get big? You know, and again, my question I always had asked was, how did Amazon preserve its culture as it grew from literally Bezos to five people, to 100 people, to 1,000 people, to 100,000 people, to 600,000 people. And that culture is still there. It's really interesting. And what's it like, do you think, working for that organization? Do you think it's some sort of mindful experience in a way? I think it is because I think it's very intentional. And I the culture there allows virtually any employee to come up with an idea that they think is going to help. And really, their filter is help the customer. You know, so one of the principles is obsess over customers. And that is a core idea at Amazon. But being mindful, and again, it's not willy-nilly, let's just throw it against the wall, see if it works. They have a tool they use, which is fascinating, called a six-page memo. So PowerPoint is banned. You cannot do a PowerPoint at Amazon. You have to actually write, you individually or your team writes out a memo, maximum of six pages, that explains the idea, explains how it will help customers, explains the data behind it, why you think this would be something that would move things forward. And then the group that comes together sits for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes and reads the memo. And then they discuss. And and again, if you think about that, that takes away that the riskiness of taking risk, because now everybody's on the same page and they can come back to that after they start, you know, they've put the product out there and say, okay, this didn't work like we thought. That's a failure. What happened? What were our assumptions that were wrong? What can we learn from what we didn't do correctly? So that's just one of the tools that they use. Again, very mindful in terms of intentionality about how they go about making those decisions. Steve, did you have to have permission from Jeff Bezos or from Amazon to write this book? I did not. In fact, I don't even know if he knows about it yet because all the letters are public. Right. They're filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission as part of their annual, you know, 10K filing. And this is my view literally from outside. So I don't have any inside secret sauce. Right. This is just looking at what he's written. And then really I'm the guide to the guide. I help people because it's hard to read through the letters. There's a lot of other stuff in it. And help people pull out what I consider to be the important points. And I will say, Bruce, that I would be thrilled if people come up with other principles that they find if they go and read through the letters. But just I've already had early readers say, I've changed how I do things. I'm practicing some of these principles that I can see would be helpful. And and obviously, as a writer, that was my goal. And I'm thrilled with people being able to 
take action with it, not just an interesting story. Right. I love how you're constantly using direct quotes from the letters. This isn't just kind of like your opinions and, you know, a whole lot of fluff. This is really great research where you're citing actual quotes from the letters and then discussing them, talking about them, interpreting what they mean. So that's great. Have you ever met Jeff? And if you and if you ever got a chance to meet him and, you know, uh, what would you ask him? What would you talk about? So I have not met him. It is one of my goals. I hope at some point I get to at least say hello. I do hope someone puts a book on his desk. We'll see. And I, you know, I've thought about that. Um, I I probably have a couple questions. I, I think the first one is how did you think about writing the letters? You know, what's the process that you go through? What do you think about? Because a lot of CEOs write shareholder letters. His are different. And, and I would actually put him in the same category as Warren Buffett. You know, people wait for his letters to come out. I mean, they're almost historic now. Right. And because they have so much business wisdom in them. And so what prompted him? What's the process? Does he sit down and say, here's what I want to do this year? Does he have a team that helps him? I would assume some of that, but that that would be a question. And then because again, he thinks so far into the future. You know, my question, probably follow up would be what are you seeing in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? What do you see that, not just for Amazon, but, uh, you know, for other things? Because he has a passion for certainly space, which I talk a bit about. I think that's a really important piece. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. The connection with space and Jeff Bezos, that's very fascinating. You discuss it in the book. I do. And and what really made kind of caught my attention is space is really risky. And what most people don't know, Blue Origin is his space company, right? So you hear Elon Musk and and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson kind of are the three, you know, space barons, uh, you know, if you want to use that word. But he started Blue Origin in 2000. So that was really early on. Nobody knew anything about it for at least five or six years. And he was working because that's just a passion. And he's been quoted as saying, you know, your passions choose you. You don't choose your passion. And But he has this long-term view, multi-generational view of why space is important to the earth. And, and again, you know, his philanthropy. Well, some people say he, he doesn't give enough of his money away. And actually, I think he gives a lot of his money away, but in a very unusual way. Bezos doesn't think like most people. And no. that's what's really interesting to me. Yeah, that's for sure. He definitely doesn't. And you tell a story that I found was pretty fascinating about a guy that was just, he just rented a video on Amazon and then he made a comment. His name was Henry Blodgett. And this yeah. is sort of in a nutshell is all about their customer service. Tell us that story. A few years ago when video streaming was, you know, just first coming out and Amazon had added to Prime, Amazon Video, you know, Prime Video. Right. Uh, again, that's a whole story on itself, how they just kept adding more services to Prime. And he was actually watching Casablanca to write an article about the business lessons in that movie. And he kept stopping and rewinding and, you know, viewing pieces of that movie over and over right. again. And he got an email, an automated email from Amazon that basically said, we noticed that you had trouble watching Casablanca. 
And, you know, we apologize for that inconvenience. And so we have refunded your $2.99, whatever, you know, a price it was to rent right. that movie. And, you know, the comment of the writer was, Amazon noticed I had trouble watching the movie. and But that goes back to that invention and innovation. And Amazon has a strong preference for self-service and for automating glitches. You know, so they had a system in place, which is fascinating in and of itself, to monitor the quality of the streaming and then automatically refunded the money. And, you know, again, what kind of customer does that create long-term? And that long-term thinking is another key idea and, and, and principle in terms of growth. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of your principles, apply long-term thinking. And then another one was understand your flywheel. Let's uh, talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the flywheel, I get asked a lot, you know, what's the most important? And it's really hard because they all interact with each other. So they're not just standalone. But I, I have come to the conclusion, the more I've thought about that question, that I think the flywheel is the most important principle and concept, but is the hardest to understand and implement. So the flywheel, it actually comes from Jim Collins, a great business book called Good to Great. Uh -huh. um, and Bezos invited Collins to Amazon to their what's called S team. So that's their senior leadership team. And for a day long training, and they talked about the flywheel. Collins talked about the flywheel as chapter eight in Good to Great. And the team, they all worked on coming up with what is Amazon's flywheel. And they came up uh, with, I have a graphic in the book, their flywheel. And the whole idea behind a flywheel is what are the inputs you can put into your business that will grow your core value, I guess I would say? So in Amazon's case, growth was a core value, a core a, a, a goal for them. And so their flywheel was the more people we get to the website, the more people that buy, the more leverage we have with manufacturers to lower prices, which brings more people which allows us to, you know, so it, it's this self-fulfilling circle. And the more you push on any one of those points, the faster the flywheel goes and the better or the, the greater the growth in Amazon's case. Now, part of what's important to understand is in Amazon's case, growth was their core. That may not be the core of every business. In fact, Collins came out just earlier this year in 2019 with a monograph specifically talking about the flywheel and giving more examples. And he gives an example about an elementary school principal that implemented the flywheel to improve test scores of the students, right? So it's not just low prices. It's not just, you know, growth. It, it's other things, but it's what are those key inputs that you can push that will get that flywheel moving? Steve, last week was a pretty big week. I mean, your book was noticed on the Wall Street Journal, on USA Today. Let's talk about the feedback you've received from your book, including that and additional feedback. Yeah, so the ebook and the audiobook are actually already available. The print book will be available September 17th, so mid-September. And already with some early, you know, people who we've provided, you know, like yourself, people, we provided copies of the books to, 
you know, the feedback has been great. I mean, and I'm really grateful for that. One, it's readable. Two, the principles make people think. And, and that was part of my goal. You know, what can you learn from this organization that arguably is the most successful company? You could argue that, but, you know, I certainly it's very, very successful. Definitely. And, you know, as an author, so again, for, you know, my mindfulness, you know, looking back over those three years of long trudging and writing and, you know, obviously it's grateful. I'm, I'm thrilled that people are embracing the book and it's not for everybody. I know that no book ever is. But the feedback has been very, very positive. Uh, we've already gotten, I don't know how many reviews on Amazon, actually, and, and Barnes and Noble, it, it was up to number three on their site, you know, so anyway, yeah, so it's been great. Well, you and your wife are a team. I know that. I know Karen has an amazing, incredible ability when it comes to books and putting books together as well. Tell me about the mindfulness of putting this whole project together and making it happen. So the book, right, the manuscript. So that was that was the first big goal, right? Get the manuscript done and, and submitted to the publisher. Right. But then it really almost immediately shifted into book launch, right? How do you get the most people to know that the book is available? And one of the things early on that happened with the book, the Morgan James Publishing, is the publisher of my book, has a individual who handles foreign rights. So foreign rights are another publisher in another country buys the rights to the book to translate into local language. And we now have six countries that have bought foreign rights. Korea, Japan, Indonesia, Russia, India, and one I'm forgetting, but there are six. And so that was our first indication that, you know, this book may have some real interest. And again, Karen and I, right, as you mentioned, Karen's, a, a, let me say this. One of the common questions is, how did it go writing a book with your wife? Right. And <laughs> right, and yeah. we are still married. We actually celebrated 44 years just uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Wow. And the, my answer to that is, I trust her implicitly. You know, so if she said, this doesn't work. In fact, she said that. I, I don't know if we have time for this story, but real quick, she, I had put a lot together and I was working in a chronological order every letter mm -hmm. as opposed to principles. And she came to me, this was like last December. And she said, honey, I, I need to talk to you. And uh, she said, the chronological doesn't work. It's boring. People don't care what order. They care about what you can extract out of there. And I was crestfallen. I mean, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to write this all over again. I mean, I, and, but if she thought it wouldn't work, it wouldn't work. Right. right. So I trusted her. And what was interesting is literally about three days later, I had the 14 principles. Oh, and you did? I did. I mean, because wow. I, I knew based on my research and I started going through and I said, oh, this is here. This is here. I mean, and so we came up with the 14 principles and, and, and moved forward. So there were all kinds of steps along the way to actually get this project out to where it is today. So we're really thrilled. Well, what I noticed, Steve, is both you and Karen have this incredible vibrancy, this incredible energy, and you just lift 
people up. That's what you do. And it's impossible to believe that you've been together 44 years. You you just have the vibrancy of, of people, you know, 20 or 30 years younger than you. It's absolutely amazing. How do you maintain this incredible energy level? Actually, it's being very intentional, not just about business, but about rest, relaxation, mm. and taking time away. I become convinced over the last several years that vacations are vital mm-hmm. uh, and probably more than most people. It meaning you've got to have time away if you're going to be creative and everybody's creative, whether you write or whether you, you know, whatever your business is, we are all creative, but we need time and space. Some of that's being intentional about phone, right? Not, you know, that's probably the hardest one. Right, right. Not defaulting if I'm bored to the phone. I try and walk at least every day, at least a mile or two. And I probably 50% of that time, I don't listen to anything, but I'm just outside. I'm just enjoying nature. I'm letting my mind wander. I'm thinking sometimes I'm not even doing that. I may be, you know, I'm a, a person of faith, so I may be praying. I mean, but those kinds of things help re-energize what we do. There are hard times and we get tired and you sure. know, uh, all of those kinds of things, but being intentional about taking time. And Steve, do you have a morning routine? And if you do, does it include meditation? Yeah, it does. And for me, meditation is, again, because of my faith background, a time of prayer and scripture reading. Right. But I'm usually up early. Karen's not. So I usually get out of the house quickly. Uh, and what and is early office, to you? 5.30 or 6. Right. You know, usually I'm an early riser. That also means I'm in the bed fairly early. Right. So. <laughs> But it, intentional, and then that's a lot of times when I'll have do walks because I like early morning walks, uh, and certainly in the summer it's a bit cooler. So, right, sure. Um, but yeah, uh, and and I have an evening routine too. You know, so I kind of have an office shutdown routine. Uh, so I don't have an office at home. Uh, I have a separate office. For me, that helps with some of that routine and and separating, you know, work and home, and certainly with Karen and I over the last, you know, really probably what eight months now. That's been a little more difficult to kind of separate, but we are aware of it and continue to work on uh, making sure we don't let work bleed into everything else. I always ask a question, Steve, about the topic of bullying. Do you have a story you can share with us, either in your adult and business life where bullying was an issue or maybe going back? Do you have a story where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, actually, I was thinking about that. And the story that kept coming to mind actually wasn't me, but there's an organization Kieran and I have been involved with for a number of years now called Young Life Capernaum. Young Life's a faith-based organization that works with high school kids. Capernaum works with high school kids with disabilities. And we've had an opportunity over probably the last 10 years now, you know, to really be part of that, that group. And a, a lot of times those kids are bullied. You know, they're different, certainly if they're in school. And I've come to recognize what a beautiful gift all of them, really most of them are, in in terms of if you take some time and slow down and listen to them. So these are, you know, cognitive and developmental disabilities primarily. And so they're just so loving. Certainly Down's kids uh, are amazing. They'll love you no matter what. And, you know, that has made a real mark on 
both Karen and I in terms of even how we treat other people now. Right. That's awesome. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Steve. And the first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Actually, uh, Karen, that may sound uh, unusual, but she's always asking me questions. You know, what do you think about this? What, how do you want to approach this? What are you feeling? And, you know, by the way, for me, that's a very strange question because my always go, one of our jokes actually is she literally happened. We were driving in a car and she asked me, you know, so how's your heart? And, and I really looked at her and I said, I have no idea what that question means, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> she's always prompting me to, to think in that way. So the other one in terms of long-term thinking has to be Bezos right now, just how he thinks generationally. And, and one of the phrases that's kind of come out of that is, are you being a good ancestor? You know, meaning my grandchildren's grandchildren, you know, am I being a good ancestor to them? So just, it keeps me thinking what I'm doing today and being mindful about what impact that might have later. And I'm sure it will have a huge impact. Yeah, that's very interesting. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Steve? It's helped the lows. As I said, you know, the journey has uh, ups and downs and it's helped keep me grounded in what I know to be true. And, you know, a lot of that is being grateful, being thankful for where we are, even in the midst of of trials. But we haven't talked about this. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Okay. You know, interesting you should say that again, because I actually have an app that's uh, on my watch and twice a day it buzzes, right? And and I don't always do it. I'll be honest there, but, you know, says, you know, take two minutes and just, you know, just breathe, breathe in, breathe out, right? Just, just relax. And, and when I do it, it, it just helps the busyness, the, you know, it frenetic pace, which sometimes can take over and helps me just relax a bit and uh, enjoy more of the process. And Steve, what is the name of that app? Do you know what it's called? Uh, I'd have to look it up. Right. Well, I'll, I'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes. We'll so. put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Mindfulnessmode.com. Yes, that's great. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness in some way, what would that book be? So a little biased, I will say that, but this actually is a new book that just came out by my friend, uh, Peter Diaz and Emmy Golding called Mental Wealth. Mm-hmm. And it is in a book specifically addressing mental health in businesses and what businesses can do to help their employees be better. Now, the disclaimer is I wrote the foreword for the book. Okay. But, you know, as you gave me that question, I kept thinking of all kinds of different things. And again, just kept coming back to this one as a way for organizations to be better at helping their employees be mindful and help their mental health. Right. Well, it's certainly something that that we need to be talking about these days and realizing that it's it's an issue that it's been just swept under the carpet too much in the yep. past. You and, know? and that's so, what they're trying to do with this book is it's a book about, because I think too many fellow employees or managers or supervisors don't know what to do. So it really is a book about here are practical things you can do to help. And I think it's a great as you say, I think it's something that's been swept under the rug too much. And I think there are some tools out there people can use. 
And speaking of tools and speaking of health, helping, you help so many people with all of your hacks and your tools that you make available through, well, when you post on LinkedIn, it's available. It's available on your website, steveanderson.com. Is there any place else we should connect with you, Steve? So steveanderson.com is, I've had that site since the late 90s, and that's where you'll find a lot of those tools and tips. I have a weekly newsletter that I send out that is just one idea, one tip, one website, something. It has been in the past a bit more focused on insurance. That's probably going to change a little bit. And then the book, the information about the book is at thebezosletters.com. And you can get uh, lots of information about the book. And uh, if you pre-order, if you're interested, there are some bonuses that are available for pre-ordering as we try and get the word out about the book. So the website is thebezosletters.com. Check it out. Yeah, check it out. Are you going to be going on a book tour, Steve? We'll be doing actually a virtual book tour. So Mm -hmm. more radio Uh, Again, Karen being in the book publishing industry, the physical book tours have become more impractical. And um, but yeah, we're going to do radio tour and a number of things there. And as I travel, we'll be setting up in various cities book signings at at local bookstores. We uh, we really it's sort of funny to have a book about Amazon. And I really want to support the local bookstores. So, and I actually believe the local bookstores have a lot to learn from what Amazon has done to improve their own sales. Well, I totally enjoyed this book. I highly recommend it. I think there's so much to learn between the covers of this book. So yeah, check it out, thebezosletters.com. And Steve, thanks so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today. Bruce, it was a real pleasure talking with you. All the best to you. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.